Hello, folks. Thank you for tuning in to the Federalist Files on today's show. The Biden administration canceled the Wuhan lab investigation, one of the most disgusting things I've ever heard. Uh, the Biden's new ATF director nomination and finally the $6 trillion budget proposal. convert solar and wind energy into power, convert solar and wind energy into combat power. And just ask any Marine today, would she rather carry 20 pounds of batteries or a rolled up solar panel? And I am positive she will tell you a solar panel, and so would he. <laughs> the American people are depending on you. That's Kamala Harris. I guess she gave some sort of a, uh, a graduation speech for the Army Corps of Engineers, and it really is just incoherent babbling she's unaware of the the way in which energy works she's calling power battle power all these she's using these very weird terms and at the very end she uses that kind of catchphrase where she has to start mentioning women marines she has to start mentioning women in general just like hillary clinton did when she ran for president in 2016 she kept running on you know the ticket of i'm going to be the first woman president she's doing the same thing here she's kind of playing to her in intersectionality card She's playing to her, you know, woman card in order to gain some sort of, I guess, sympathy from the crowd and maybe get a clap out of them. I've been reading about her ratings and they're not good. People really don't like Kamala Harris. She's deeply unlikable. She's deeply uh, unrelatable. And she was during the can uh, she was during her campaign while she ran. And so was Joe Biden, to be honest with you, folks. I mean, they were, really they they took the shiniest of all turds when they chose Joe Biden. So what I have, I have a huge show for you. Seems like all the news kind of came up on me right after the uh, very first show of the week. So I have the Biden administration. Now it's come out that they shut down the Trump era probe into the uh, coronavirus lab leak. This is a Daily Caller piece I have. It's written by Anders Hagstrom. President Joe Biden's administration shut down a State Department inquiry into whether the coronavirus could have spread out of a lab where the Chinese government was studying coronaviruses. Uh, CNN reported this on Tuesday, which is even worse. You have a left-leaning outlet reporting this. And I'm going to explain why now suddenly all of this news is kind of transpiring. So, But former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo reportedly started the inquiry in late fall of 2020, seeking the, to establish whether the Chinese Communist Party had been using a lab in Wuhan to research COVID-19 and diseases like it. CNN reported, Biden's administration reportedly cut off the inquiry this spring after questioning the legitimacy of the research and ultimately concluding it was a poor use of resources, the outlet reported, which is a common theme that has been used many times. It's a poor usage of resources. The left has just seen every single thing that Trump's done as a, a negative. Therefore, 
as soon as he came in to the presidency, automatically flipped over every and the media the same way they they admitted it. Maggie Haberman admitted it last show when I played the clip of her where no one believed when Trump was calling this about a year ago because they just don't believe anything Trump says because they all hate him so much. There's that visceral hate that they had for this guy, um, almost inherent in nature. For just you, just you Republicans, just you conservatives in general, they hate, they, they really do, at their core, they hate you. They hate what you represent. Um, they really want you eradicated. So they're, they're not going to listen to anything you have to say, even if there is some sort of truth to it. And the media misreported this the entire time. And now they have to kind of backtrack their way and they have to start to report this stuff. This is why CNN now is covering it. So critics within the State Department argue those conducting the inquiry were suspect due to their emphasis on secrecy, according to, a, a, to several unnamed sources cited by CNN. The revelation comes amid mounting evidence pointing toward a lab leak being the true origin of COVID-19. The previous theory put forward by China and the World Health Organization asserted that the virus spread naturally from animals to humans. Critics say that theory has virtually no support, while circumstantial evidence continues to point toward the Wuhan lab. So they actually did do studies. They were trying to um, they were trying to like inject these this COVID nineteen this virus into bats. They were trying to figure out how it did relate to bats and they just could not find to begin with, they could not find any bat that had anything even close to this this COVID-19, this strain that we have currently, not even a mutation. And then they were also seeing if these, if it was possible that these bats could even carry this version that we have currently, and the bats couldn't do that either. Therefore, it kind of rules out whether or not these bats that are native to the area could have passed this or could have mutated off of them if... It's not even possible for them to catch it, and there is no mutate. They could not find any bat that had anything close to the strain of a virus that we currently have now. So there's really just no legitimacy to that report, and we, we've known that. These are all things that, folks, these are all things that have been known, and the media is now just kind of de deciding to come out with some of these things, saying, oh, well, it looks like Trump was right now that we got our guy in, pres in the presidency, and, and now it doesn't really matter as much. We can just kill our credibility. And hopefully the people that were watching before that hated Trump and they were shaking their fists so angrily and so adamantly, now hopefully they just don't read this. And that's really what the case is. They're not going to read it. We'll continue to read. Conservatives, we're, all, we're the most informed audience out there. We're going to continue to read. We're going to continue to study and do our due diligence like we always do because we actually seek the truth. Unlike these uh, totalitarian losers that just listen to their, their weird deities that are up there in the big government system. And another thing here is that don't, CNN, they do the CNN, Washington Post also does this all the time. They come out with these unnamed sources or anonymous sources. Always. They always do. There's no credibility on their account. There's just no accountability for them at all. They can they do this all the time. So they're saying, oh, that there was, there was too much secrecy and that's why they ended uh, the report because the State Department was conducting the inquiry and uh, it seemed like it was... It was extremely, there was too much emphasis on secrecy, so we just decided to end it, saying unnamed sources. So so really, when you hear unnamed source, sources or anonymous sources, you should pretty much, especially from them, you should just say, okay, so they just made it up. They just fabricated a story for reasoning to cover themselves. It's amazing. And then I have another eight stories. This is a daily, another Daily Caller piece. This was written by uh, Andrew Kerr. 
But these are another eight stories that kind of came up relating to all of this leading further to the Wuhan lab thing uh, coming to fruition. And these all happened within the last year. I'm going to open up the report just so that I can get the clearest uh, definition of some of this stuff. So we had in February... Um, in February 2020, February 2020, one of the Wuhan doctors was arrested. Uh, they were arrested. China was arresting doctors for telling the truth about COVID-19 in February 2020. Okay, they later died from the virus. Apparently, now. Second one I got, Wuhan's top bat-based coronavirus researcher said she lost sleep worrying the virus came from her lab. Um, When did she state this? Let me see. In late December of 2020 as well. Uh, But she told the Scientific America in March 2020 that she thinks that there was an accidental leak in the Wuhan lab of this virus in late December. So these are all stories, folks. These are stories that have been out for a full year. And the media has continued to just overlook them because they don't want to report the truth. They don't want anyone to know the truth because they like the Chinese Communist Party. The Chinese Communist Party has so much influence, so much money, so much power, um, really in a lot of basis of our society right now. They have it in the education system. They have it in Oh, man, they have it with um, Fast and Furious movie that just came out with John Cena apologizing, which I'm going to have at the very end of the show. Uh, they, they, really, they have it in the entertainment industry. They have it in the education, our educational institutions, the higher education facilities. They have it in our government as well. They really do. They have it in, they have it in the business industry because a lot of products are being uh, imported from China for cheaper prices because of all the regulations in the United States. The reason that we're, we ship jobs out in the United States is all due to regulation. It has nothing to do with I mean some there's certain uh, certain products that you need natural resources for, but that's not all products. A lot of these products we're just sending we're sending out the work to other countries because we just have so many regulations here to build a building. And I was just actually, I was reading about this just the other day to build the empire state building. I want to say it was around the fifties or sixties when they built the empire state building. And you wonder how long did it take them to build that building? You would think nowadays, because you look at the freedom towers, the freedom towers took about 15 years to build. So you would think the empire state building probably took, you know, maybe 10 at that time, and, and oh, okay, so at that time also it was an also a longer time ago. So yeah, maybe it even took longer than that because you know the innovation was just not there. And then when you actually look it up, the Empire State Building took about a year to build. So it goes to show the regulation has increased so much that it's difficult to do anything in this economy now because the government has their their oversight has overregulated the business industry, the business world. That is why we are sitting here exporting all of our jobs to other countries. There's too many regulations. There's too many tax code laws that you have to follow. There's just too much on the books type action because the government wants their cut. They want as much tax money as they can take in from you. That's the point. That's why everything here is so screwed up. And that's why we're shipping all of our jobs. It's generally because of government oversight and overreach into the economy. And the leftists want more of that. And they think somehow that's going to be the uh, remedy to everything. So like I said, I have this uh, 
Wuhan's researcher lost sleep, and then I got China's Batwoman expressed shock that COVID-19 broke out of Wuhan. Uh, so she told, is the same thing. She told uh, in March 2020 the Scientific America that she was shocked to learn how the coronavirus outbreak in Wuhan, some of 600 miles north of where the bats actually were known to carry this this virus. I mentioned this last show. So these these bats that everybody's referring to are the ones that were carrying the virus. They come from 600 miles north of the Wuhan lab. They're, they're 600 miles natively. That is where they live. So it's just really completely impractical for that to be possible. So the number four reason I got Chinese researcher published, then deleted a study concluding COVID-19 probably originated from Wuhan lab in February, 2020. So this researcher, uh, on February 6th, 2020, reported, let's see if I can find the exact date. Oh, they, they told the Wall Street Journal on February 26th, 2020, that he uh, pulled his paper, but the paper was removed on February 14th and 15th. So once again, folks, this is a whole, all these things are happening a full year ago. He really pulled it because he was afraid of the Chinese Communist Party coming for his throat, coming for his life. I'm surprised he's actually still alive. Uh... So number five, deadly viruses have a history of escaping from Chinese laboratories. That's just a basic fundamental fact. The, the first SARS, for example, is one of them. The Chinese Institute of Virology in Beijing in 2004. Uh, and then obviously this one as well. Uh, China deleted early samples of COVID-19. In May 2020, China confirmed that it had authorized laboratories to destroy early samples of the virus that causes COVID-19 for biosafety reasons. So once again, and then this is all open intelligence, this is open source intelligence, because in May 2020, the New York Post reported uh, that, that uncovered in the United Kingdom revealed that the Wuhan Institute of Virology had censored a virus database in late 2019. So these are all stories that came out. And it's, it's mostly from, you know, you have Scientific America, which I would consider just probably, a, a, you know, middle they're probably not a political source. And then you had the New York Post. They're more right-leaning. Uh, but th these are all things that have come out. They came out a year ago. <laughs> like, well, this all came out a year ago. And, and you know, this is all open. Once again, this is open source intelligence. So last show when I was mentioning this and Trump said, oh, I can't give away any type of information because of national security reasons. I said, well, why is it that the media just did not do their job and do their due diligence and look this stuff up and investigate? That's that's what you are. When you're a journalist, you're an investigative reporter. That's what you're supposed to do. And they just didn't do any of that. They just took it on the basis of, oh, Trump said it, so it has to be wrong. And, every, and we've already tricked everybody into hating Trump so much that whatever we say, no matter what, it's golden. They're going to listen to us, which which they're right. They're, they played on the ignorance of the American people, and they won. And they know that they could shape the public opinion because they have these social media sites and these controllers of information throttling the results the way that they want them to uh, throttle the results. So another key American defender of Wuhan lab had a clear conflict of interest. So this guy, Peter Daszak, he was the president of the nonprofit group Eco Health Alliance. And he was the one that got the money from Dr. Fauci to fund the Wuhan lab. 
and he was saying he was condemning conspiracy him himself who's coming out saying oh these are conspiracy theories this is that, that i mean this seems like it was such a controversial thing that was going on where people were fighting back and forth on this and there was just no, like no one was looking into any of the, these things and the conservatives for a long time we were sitting here calling it the entire time i mean i've been calling it I've been saying, you know, allegedly things of that nature to cover myself, but really, we've I've been reporting on this since the very inception of this show, uh, and then the very last one, and this one I think is maybe the most egregious. A prominent American virologist said lab leak theory shouldn't be dismissed, and this was Richard E. Bright, and I've mentioned his name a couple times on the show. He's a Rutgers, I believe, he's a Rutgers scientist slash professor. Uh, and, and he tweeted out himself, he said, possibility of origin as lab accident cannot and should not be dismissed, but cited document is not credible evidence. So he's just saying pretty much cited document from the, from their government isn't, is meaningless really, which he's, which I'm sure he's right. And then, you know, the Daily Caller also, I mean, if you really want, you can read into this piece. It gets pretty in-depth about it. If you want to show any of your, your liberal friends on how stupid their media sources are, the people that they listen to, that that's, I guess, what this paper would be used for. And, and once again, like I said, I have, you have the mainstream, the, the legacy corporate media class selling this story that they know is not true because they don't want to do their due diligence because they don't want to give Trump any type of validity where he would actually be trusted by the people, even his opposers, by just admitting the simple bending the knee just a little bit. It's not even really bending the knee, just agreeing with something that may be true or has factual evidence behind it to prove that it's true. They would rather just lie about it. And then they'll have Facebook, they'll have Twitter, they'll have Google cover for them, and they will connect all of the streams and they'll block out all the information that is you know, uh, propagating Trump and exalting whatever Trump is saying, they'll block all that information out and then they'll put all their information at the forefront. So when you go into the search results, it's the only thing you see. So as you can see, I have this, I have this story. It came out of Tucker, Tucker Carlson show. And it specifically shows that Facebook openly admits, and this is a, a story from project Veritas, I believe obtained some of this information this is them openly stating that they are throttling, they were throttling the results for COVID-19 to paint a specific narrative. Uh, play five. James O'Keefe's Project Veritas says two whistleblowers from Facebook have turned over to them internal documents from Facebook. According to those documents, Facebook has implemented an algorithm that ranks its users with a vaccine hesitancy score, a VH score, all, of course, without telling them. The documents offer an example of a post that would negatively affect someone's vaccine hesitancy score. How Orwellian is this, by the way? Very. Quote, if the vaccines are so useful, then why do we still need to wear a mask or social distance afterward? That's the example. Now, that's obviously a reasonable question. By the way, what's the answer? We don't know. But if you dare ask the question, your VH score might change and you could be banned. Facebook has also suppressed comments on the vaccine that raised, quote, liberty-based objections or skepticism, as well as, quote, religious-based objections or skepticism. So you're not allowed to care about liberty or your religious faith. You're not allowed to question vaccines in any way. Does that make you more or less skeptical of the vaccines? This could be counterproductive, just suggesting it. We reached out to Facebook today for comment. They didn't deny any of Project Veritas's reporting. 
meaning it's true. So Facebook has these internal memos telling them that they have a system set up and they score people. They have a social scoring system now to give validity to users on the site. Whether you agree or disagree with what they want the narrative to be, they will pump or they will dump your ratings as in they will let a lot of people see what you have to say on the feed or they won't let anybody when you go put something out, your shadow band uh, per se, where whatever you put out is not seen. And I've noticed this on my Facebook page as well. Some posts I get hit way better than others do, like to the point where one post I'll put up will get 30 shares and then the other post will just get zero, as if no one sees it unless if they actually are clicking on the specific site that I'm on, which doesn't, none of this really surprises me. I've been reporting from this uh, about this on day one. So Fauci, he admits to collaborating with the Wuhan lab. This is a Washington Examiner piece, Jerry Dunleavy. So now he's kind of walking back his former statements. So this is what he says. They had him on, um, I think this is him on the House floor the other day, or the Senate floor the other day. So he states, and I quote, Why do research in, why do research in collaboration with our Chinese colleagues? Well, the underlying reason for what is that we had a big scare with SARS-CoV-1 back in 2002, 2003, which I mentioned before, where that particular virus unquestionably went from a bat to an immediate host to start an epidemic and a pandemic that resulted in 8,000 cases and close to 800 deaths. It would have been almost dereliction of our duty if we didn't study this. And the only way you can study these things is you've got to go where the action is, Fauci said. And they continued, so I often say, what, somewhat tongue-in-cheek, you don't want to study bats in Fairfax County, Virginia, to find out what animal inter interface is that might lead to a jumping of species. So we had a modest collaboration with very respectable Chinese scientists who were world experts on coronavirus, and we did that through a sub-grant from a larger grant to EcoHealth. The subgrant was about $600,000 over a, a period of five years, so it was a modest amount, and the purpose of it was to study the animal-human interface, to do surveillance, and to determine if these bat viruses were even capable of transmitting infections to humans. So he now is kind of admitting and he's stating that this isn't gain-of-function research, but a State Department fact sheet released in January contended that the Wuhan lab researchers, and I'm quoting here, conducted experiments involving RATG-13, the bat coronavirus identified by the Wuhan uh, Lab of Virology in January 2020 as its closest sample of SARS-2, 96.2% similar, and that the lab has a published record of of conducting gain-of-function research to engineer chimeric viruses. The U.S. government has reason to believe that se several researchers inside the Wuhan lab became sick in autumn 2019 before the first identified case of the outbreak with symptoms consistent with both COVID-19 and common seasonal illness, the State Department fact sheet said. So, so now Fauci, he's admittedly so saying, yeah, I gave money to the Wuhan lab, but it's not gain-of-function research. But all they do is gain-of-function research. That's, they've been known to do it. Our own State Department says so. And what they're studying is a 96.2% uh, 
a 96.2% closest sample to what we currently have in COVID-19. I mean, this is this this folks this is like obvious now at this point. This study, this State Department sheet, really, this just shows the truth, and it also it vindicates Trump. Whatever Trump said is vindicated now at this point. It also makes Trump. I mean, it also makes Fauci look like a moron. Uh, the fact sheet also said that the Wuhan lab has engaged in classified research, including laboratory animal experiments on behalf of the Chinese military since at least 2017. So so knowing all of this, then Fauci just still signs it off and sends it out. Um, and then now Fauci's kind of walking back his comments. But this is very interesting. So on Tuesday, he said that there's no gain-of-function research, and now he's defining it as taking a, vi- a virus that could infect humans and making it either more transmissible and or pathogenic to humans and insisted that categorically was not done in the uh, Wuhan lab. Now, Richard Ebright, professor of chemistry and chemical biology at Rutgers University, said earlier this month that grants provided by the NIH, which is run by Fauci, to EcoHealth met the definition of -of gain-of-function research of concern. Under a 2014 pause, the professor concluded... The Wuhan lab used NIH funding to construct novel chimeric SARS-related coronavirus with the ability to infect human cells and laboratory animals, and that the research was unequivocally gain-of-function research. So this is what they do. They power this virus up because then it's easier to kind of study it. And then what happened is by powering this virus up so then they can study it and they're trying to probably create biological weapons. Um, that's me just assuming what China's probably trying to do considering they work with the military and they did not expect what happened to happen. And then they tried to cover it up and backtrack. And now that's what Tony Fauci's trying to do because he's the one that was funding it the entire time. <sighs> Man, it is... If you think that is bad, I actually have another clip from... Uh, same thing from Tucker Carlson. And it is actually more grotesque than what I have just told you. It's actually uh, reprehensible, despicable, disgusting. So he has this this guest on, David Delighton. He's a pro-life activist. And just listen to what he has to say of what's also been funded through the NIH, through Fauci-approved funding. Uh, play 7. University of Pittsburgh, they were doing a study where they were taking the scalps of five-month-old aborted babies and they were grafting them onto lab rats and lab mice to see how much longer they could keep them growing for. And you can actually see the photographs in the published study of little baby scalps grafted onto the backs of lab rats growing little baby hairs. Those would have been the little hairs growing on the heads of little infants in Pittsburgh if they hadn't been killed by abortion and then stitched onto lab rats for experimentation. This study was funded by a grant, by multiple grants from the NIAID office, which is run by Dr. Anthony Fauci. And when I was undercover, Planned Parenthood abortion providers told me that they were the ones who were supplying the aborted baby body parts for experiments at the University of Pittsburgh. So that's uh, pretty pretty disgusting stuff. Uh, to, to even be able to do this, to be able to graph, graph babies' heads, that means that these babies had to somewhat be intact, uh, apparently, from, from what I've heard, from what, from what this, uh, clip says, it's five months, so they were killing babies at five months, which at that point, there's really, scientifically, there's nothing you can say to defend it, uh, heart's already there, heart's beating, nervous system's already there, everything's going, uh, that baby feels everything, when, when these abortion, the abortionists kill it, 
and then they're using it for this this weird research where they're skin grafting onto rats to see if they can grow baby heads off of it's like the, the most this is just such despicable immoral shit that they're doing now and and i think it's partially because we've fallen so we really just lost our way uh as we've lost our humanity uh and our government is funding these kind of things. And that's really the biggest problem is, is that the government to begin with is even funding these things. The taxpayer dollars go towards things like this. And the other problem is, is we've lost our human dignity in, in multiple ways where we're running lab tests on babies. Uh, we're, we're treating them like they are lab rats. We're not treating them like they're human beings with dignity. And the reason because of that now is we have people that no longer believe in religion. We have people that no longer believe in the afterlife. Uh, they believe in themselves as a government power, as a bureaucrat in the government, as more important than everybody else around them. They think that their lives need to be extended further. They think that all these scientific studies, and this is, like I said, this all goes back to cultural Marxism. It's the ends justify the means right now at this time. The ends is they want to live forever. They want other people around them to live forever because... They have no dignity. They're selfish. They their motives are for themselves. They don't believe in an afterlife. For so for them right now, what they're doing is the best thing that they can do, and they want to live forever. And they don't want to age. They want to go through all these studies to prolong their life or prolong their death. Really, as as long as they can, as long as they can do it. And they don't really care the damage and how pernicious it is to society. Just so in the idea. Of just of abortion in a general sense is so inhumane, and then you go, oh, oh, they test these people like they're like these little kid, little babies, like they're lab rats now. They use them for this research on skin grafts, uh, to seeing if their head can grow on on the back of a rat. That's what they're doing. I mean, this is just like some of the most immoral, disgusting. These are the things that Alex Jones was talking about, you know, five, ten years ago, and everyone thought he was crazy. This is what he was talking about five or ten years ago because he knew it was going on. He was getting some sort of information about it, and everybody thinks he's crazy, and this still will go in the wayside. No one will even think about this. This is, oh, well, it's justified. Anything to extend my life because who cares if another person has to die for my life to extend further? It's really, and, and we're not talking about people that have sinned. We're not talking about people that are, are murderers, rapists. We're not talking about somebody trying to rob you, someone trying to assault you or do you harm. We're talking about innocent life, in a life that has not done anything wrong, being killed so you, because you're a coward, can live longer. That's, that is the point of this whole thing, and this is what they've been pushing. They've been pushing this further away from, from God, this further away from religion, this further away from humanity and dignity. Uh, they've been pushing this over the years, uh, as they did with abortion, and they've been almost extolling it, where it's like a good thing to go shout shout your abortion, like it's a good thing, like you should feel proud of yourself for doing these inhumane, disgusting, immoral acts. I just don't know. I don't know how we. Uh, I don't know how we get back. I really don't. So David Chipman, this is Biden nominated uh director of the atf and this is this one really this this guy's unbelievable he believes in getting rid of rifles in a general sense but also specifically prohibiting the ar-15 banning it from ownership 
for regular law-abiding citizens. So I'm gonna I'm gonna play two different clips. This first one, this is gonna be Ted Cruz asking him about the AR-15 uh, Play 8. The AR-15 is one of, if not the most popular rifle in America. It's not a machine gun; it's a rifle. Uh, your public position is that you want to ban AR-15s. Uh, with respect to the AR-15, uh, I support uh, a, a ban as um, as has been presented um, in uh, a Senate bill uh, and supported by the president. Senator Feinstein had a bill uh, to ban some 2,000 specified rifles and, and other firearms in her bill, which a supermajority of senators voted against in a Democratic Senate. You said that bill didn't go far enough and you wanted an even broader ban to ban. You, you said it didn't go far enough. Is that right? Um, Senator, thanks for that question and the ability to, to clarify. What I did say is that Senator Feinstein's bill uh, did not um, address uh, those firearms um, that are currently in the possession of Americans. You mean that you don't just want to ban the manufacturer of those rifles. You don't just want to make it illegal to sell those rifles but you want to actively have government go after the people who currently possess firearms. And if they don't register and submit to all of the onerous restrictions of the National Firearms Act, presumably confiscate their weapons. Senator, um, what I've said publicly is that uh, as an advocate, uh, I prefer a system where the AR-15 um, and other assault weapons are regulated under the National Firearms Act. They There's a lot to unpack there in the beginning. He supports the ban of the AR-15. Uh, he also supports making these manufacturers liable. He, I mean, he supports pretty much just all of the gun control tactics of the left. And then he does the appeal to authority. He says, well, the Senate approves of it, and so does the President of the United States, which to all, all of us is meaningless. We don't care. It's like, oh, oh, so the big – so you're telling me the big government, the big government hack tyrants – approve a gun a gun ban or a gun confiscation like why should i oh that you know what that should be i'm gonna definitely agree with you then on that and he's just outright he this is blatant he doesn't care he, he knows that you know at this point now it's acceptable to hold that position years ago the democrats would kind of try to dance around the issue and they'd make it like you know we don't really want to confiscate your guns you know obama did the same thing obama i love when people play the the video of barack obama where he got that question and he said are you coming for our guns the guy said and they asked him also the question somebody else asked him the question of what about the the big cities why is it that they have such high gun crime but you guys have the best you know gun legislation in those big cities and he didn't answer that question he just went on to talk about how how he can't get anything done because you know the house of representatives and the senate is covered by the republicans and they wouldn't allow him to and he sold more guns now during his administration than any other administration because of all of his rhetoric and how he hasn't been able to do anything. I mean, it, it was the dumbest response ever to gun control, a gun control question. And the left, I still see it all over Facebook. People share it and they think it's genius. Him dodging, him dodging. And here's the real question. So why is it that you think black Americans and minority Americans in the inner cities can't defend themselves? Why, why is it that their lives don't matter to you? That's really the question. Why didn't, oh, he didn't answer it. Because because this is what the Democrats, the communists, they don't want you to have guns. This is This is what they want to do. They want to disarm the population. 
And they've yet to really find a way to do so because then they can implement their full-on authority. They haven't yet been able to implement their full-on authority because there's an, a heavily armed population in the United States. As soon as they come for those guns, that's it, folks. It's, it's, it, is, it is over. The government's going to implement whatever they want from there. They're on out. They're going to have the Gestapo come to your house. They're going to take you out and perp walk you. And there's nothing that you or your family and the rest of the country can do about it. So number two, I have a next clip. This is Tom Cotton talking to, uh, and by the way, this whole National Firearms Act, then he, then he goes to that one. That would cost you every single rifle that you own. You'd have to pay any AR-15. You have to pay 200 bucks, and then you automatically get on a national registry so the government knows who has the guns to confiscate. So number two is the second one with Tom Cotton. This is actually, this is even worse. Uh, David Shipman doubles down on this, and he says, he talks about all rifles now. Uh, play eight. I want to turn to a second matter now, Mr. Chipman. You have called for an assault weapons ban. I have a simple question for you. What is an assault weapon? Senator, um, an assault weapon would be, in, in the context of the question you asked, what Congress uh, defines it as. So you're asking us to ban assault weapons. We have to write legislation. Can you tell me what is an assault weapon? How would you define it? If you were the chair, the head of the ATF, how have you defined it over the last several years uh, as your role as a gun control advocate? Um, Senator, um, if I'm confirmed as ATF director, um, you know, my recollection is the only um, um, process but by which ATF is weighed in is that I know there's a demand letter three program, which requires multiple reports, uh, multiple sale reports on the southwestern border. And ATF in that program has defined an assault rifle as any semi-automatic rifle capable of accepting a detachable magazine um, above the caliber of 22, which would include a 223, which is, you know, largely the so, AR-15 round. So this video is actually worse than the original than the very first one. Now he's doubling down. He is in favor of banning all rifles that have a detachable magazine. Any round that's bigger than 22. So really, any rifle, and this is essentially any modern rifle that does not shoot 22, that shoots anything bigger than 22, is is now banned by him or put on the NFA, the National Firearms Act. I mean, this guy is a totalitarian. This dude's a this dude's a tyrant, and and I don't really know if the ATF can do anything, even if he became the director. Whatever memo they put out, he can't just suddenly change the gun laws. I think you, you would need some sort of legislation to do so. But for sure, this is very troubling coming from our uh, Department of Justice. And this guy's a political appointee. He really knows. He doesn't, he can't even, when he asks him what's an assault rifle, he just defines it by what the Senate says. I mean, that's his way of defining it. And it's not, by the way, it's not going to do him any good. I really hope that they don't, uh, they don't vote that guy in. I really hope so. So next, then this is the way that it gets framed, and this is what the left does. The left frames everything in a specific way, whether it's public health, whether it's climate change, whether it's racist, this, that, or the other thing. I have David Hogg now, the, the gun control activist on CNN, talking about it as well. Play 10. It's also gun purchasing. So in just uh, the past year, in 2020, there were nearly 23 million gun sales across the United States. That's up 65% over the year before. And then in January, okay, after the insurrection at the Capitol, there were 2 million gun sales, and that's up 75% compared to the January before that. So what's that about to you? 
I think it's about fear. I think it's about the fact that uh, as a country, oftentimes we would rather, unfortunately, turn on each other and point to someone's skin color or point to someone's immigration status or their gender or their sexual identity and, and claim that's the threat, when in reality, um, we should all be working together against the sources of evil that are creating this gun violence and the injustice that promotes this gun violence. And This kid by the left was extolled for years because he was a child. The left knew that they could manipulate him and use him. And he was beyond reproach because he was a child. Now he's an adult. He's a little bit washed up. As you can see, he's got the weird little hipster thing going on. He's living in Los Angeles. Everything he says is just a projection of racism. He's, oh, well, you know, people that have... he He's automatically attributing mass shootings, gun ownership rates to people being racist and hating each other because of each other's uh, skin color. That's that's essentially what he's saying. He's saying the more pe people are going out and buying guns, not because of Biden's policies, not because of the rhetoric coming from the Biden administration, who they're appointing to the ATF director position, who they're not, who he's nominating, it has nothing to do with that. It's all because our country is racist and sexist, bigoted, homophobic, istophobic, phobophobes, is is what he has to say about that, which is just unbelievable. And to begin with, most of this, most of these uh, these gun homicides, a high percentage of them are suicides then another very high percentage of them it's it's gang violence uh violent activity and it's not from what do you what do you think do you think people are just going and buying guns because they hate their their uh their white neighbor or their their jewish neighbor or any do you think really that's how this is going right now david hogg he isn't he has no clue what he's talking about but this is the only thing that the left has, has to say because this is how they cover themselves because they everyone knows they want a gun confiscation so to cover themselves and say people are buying guns because they're afraid of us confiscating them they just say oh well people are just really really um belligerent and they're racist and they hate their neighbor so they want to kill their neighbor so what they do is they start arming themselves and getting guns and they start shooting other people this is just a constant trope of anyone that's a gun owner is irresponsible inflamed angry uh and ready to just light the whole world on fire and that's just not the truth and if you want to see the world being lit on fire you know over the weekend george floyd at the Floyd Memorial, the George Floyd Memorial, it was the one-year anniversary. You had tons of, as you can see in the background, I'm going to show you this video, tons of reporters there. This has gotten very, very little coverage, almost no coverage, especially from the corporate media hacks. You have a reporter on air, here's gunshots in the background, uh, play two. ...of comprehensive police reform uh, to be... Uh, to just got to be careful here with some gunshots. Excuse us, excuse us. It sounds like gunshots. I'll let you know what this is. These seem to be gunshots. Shit, 
this shows the lawlessness that this all of this rioting, all of this protesting is to fund the police narrative, all this money being taken out of the police budgets over in Minneapolis. This is the results of that. And and this this day there was thirty one uh shots fired. I think one person was injured, went to the hospital, what have you. And you saw the interval of time between the initial shots and then the shots at the very end. It's about a 30 to 45 second uh, interval. And this just shows that there's lawlessness in this area. No one cares about the cops showing up because they probably think the cops aren't going to show up. They had the time to unload their, their magazine, throw a new one in there, cock it back, and just keep shooting once again. Because there's there's lawlessness. And once again, these are the big cities. These are the places. Minneapolis, some of the strictest gun laws are in this city, why is it that there's criminal thugs shooting each other in the street? And if you notice, if you're watching the video on Rumble, the people in the background are almost unaffected by this. Like, this is a normal occurrence to them. They're really not, uh, they're not hastily running around. They're not really, it's not pandemonium uh, at the scene. It's just people kind of hiding, just making sure they're all right, looking around a little bit. People are peeking over cars. Like, where, where is that coming from? Like, this, this is, a, they were acting as if this is normal to them. They live, this has been normalized now in their society. So I have, next I have some, some economic stuff. Uh, pouring taxpayer dollars into schools doesn't work. Foundation of Economic Freedom, Brad Palumbo piece. He cited the National Assessment of Educational Progress. They had this science assessment in 2015, and then they had it in 2019. They had it from grades 4, 8, and 12. And they have pretty much seen no difference. They've seen a difference of 3 percentage points on grade 4 from 24%. Uh, to or 27% to 24% actually it's raised in the people that are below what's considered basic. So it's actually gotten it's, it's just worse. The differences are just worse. And then across the board in 8th and 12th grade, it's it's pretty much the same. It's not really much of a big difference. Uh, so he goes on to state in this, and, and this is the Reason Foundation's Corey DeAngelis stating this, uh, despite conventional wisdom, we do not, we have not actually defunded education. Uh, and this is what he has to go on to say. The United States currently spends over $15,000 per student each year. And inflation adjusted K through 12 education spending per student has increased by 280% since 1960. So we've, we've increased our spending and this is with inflation, uh, inflation, inflation adjusted. 280%. So 280%, that's almost three times increase since the 1960s. I want to say since the 90s, administrators, and, and this is really where the brunt of the money goes. Since the 90s in the school systems, administrators have increased sixfold. So we've had a six-time increase in administrators. That's the reason why the funding has been so much more. And administrators do nothing in the school system. I'm, I believe they're covered by some sort of union as well. But you need like a master's. You pretty much, You do nothing. So economic research shows no clear correlation between public education spending and outcomes. If throwing more taxpayer money at the problem could accomplish anything, we wouldn't have such abysmal results. The truth is that no amount of resources can change the structural problem facing the public school system. And this is, this is really what the problem is. And it's a supply and demand, non-free market, monopolistic problem. And this is what DeAngelis explains. He states, and I quote, 
Pouring more money into the same broken system won't fix the deeper problem. Government monopolies have weak incentives to cater to the needs of their customers by spending money wisely. End quote. So yeah, the government, there's no accountability with the money they spend. I've heard this this uttered many times by friends of mine, and they'll say, oh, well, New Jersey, at least the education system is good in New Jersey, which just isn't, isn't true. They always say, oh, well, New Jersey has good schools. You, you may pay ta- high taxes, but at least the schools in New Jersey are good. That's just not true. There, there are states across the country that are paying much less that have the same, if not better, school systems than us. And it's because our teachers unions have taken over everything. Once again, I've, I've done this a million times. This, this public sector union thing is a serious problem because the person electing, the person being elected is being elected by the public sector union. And then that's the person they have to negotiate their contract with for the teachers. So when government run schools are the only option, those schools have little incentive to improve. In contrast, school choice policies that give American families more options empower them to choose the public school, charter school, private school, or homeschooling option that best suits their needs. So I haven't really talked, I've trashed public schools, but I haven't really talked about the remedies to the problem with the public school system. Obviously, getting rid of the unions would be one of them. But it's also the fact that there really is no free market on schooling. Schooling, public school education is you just go to the public school or you can kind of go to your home school or you can go to a private school here's what the problem is with the private school and the home school a lot of people can't afford those two options um and here's what the i guess what the remedy would be and i think it's called i don't exactly remember what the name name of it is called oh it's called um student can't remember the exact name of it but they would give a voucher, student vouchers. You would give a student, if, if every single student's getting $15,000 a year is paid into their education system and you pay those taxes, the town should, or the municipality should be giving you that money and then that 15000 you can take and you can go wherever you want as long as somebody's willing to tr- transport you there for education, whether it's a private school, homeschool system, uh Whatever you want to do, you take that $15,000 voucher and you go wherever you want. That's a free market system. There's there's a free incentive to that, to have these private schools be more effective than the public schools. And then they get that public funding money and the kid still gets an education. The family gets what they want. And it looks like it works out for everybody except for the teachers unions. And that's that's the reason why we don't have a system like that. It's, it's strictly only to keep the teacher unions happy, happy to keep. And, and teachers at this point in the public education system... It's a jobs program for adults. That's really all it is. Uh, it, and, and we've seen it this past year where it's been more important to make sure that these teachers were content more than the parents of the students. And the parents are the ones paying the teachers. They, they, this is how the teachers get their paycheck. It is from the parents of the students. So, And families having options uh, fosters a, co- a competitive system that can actually deliver results. Schools that perform well will attract more students and thus more money, while those that under-deliver will bleed students and money over time. This will lead to the rise and expansion of effective schools and educational options and the demise of inefficient broken ones. It's no coincidence that research has consistently shown that schools' choice initiatives can raise test scores, increase parent and student satisfaction and improve graduation rates unless we want our nation's school system to keep getting bad report cards. Something has to change. So I always like to really go through these foundation of economic pieces because 
everything is linked into the page, into the writing. There's multiple links. When they say something, when they try to substantiate a claim, they have a hyperlink to it, which is why I always provide the show notes for everybody, which will be in the description below. It'll be under the tab show notes. I give you all this information because if you don't believe what I'm saying, you don't have to. You can look it up for yourself. You can read yourself different studies that have been conducted about the education system and then your liberal friends that think that kids should be destined to go to a crappy uh, a crappy public education system, a crappy school, depending on what municipality they live in. Because really, it just caters to rich kids. This whole system caters to rich kids. If you grow up in an inner city, you are told that you have to go to the crappy public school system and you just have to be pretty much set up for failure in that crappy public school system. There's no allowance of you to get out of that system unless if your entire family is, you know, somehow accrues the wealth to get up and move. This This should be... A non-controversial issue, it's because the Democrats specifically get elected by the public sector unions. That is, that's the only reason why they don't have this system set up for the, for the, you know, the party that cares so much about, you know, equity, equality, and they care so much about, about the minority population. They really just don't, they don't do. By their actions, it displays a totally different intent than what they say. It's really what you do rather than what you say. Uh, and, and that's how the Democrats have differentiated themselves. They've been able to get away with just saying things and they don't do anything. The do really does matter, but the media has been covering up for the Democrat Party for such a long time that they can just say things and do nothing or do the exact opposite and it just won't matter to them. Uh, which I'm going to actually go over in my next show. Uh, I have so much from this show, I'm going to pack it into the next show, but I, I want to just get, I'm going to get into how somehow the anti-Semitism has been kind of shifted from the left wing, now it's suddenly a right wing problem, and you know, the right wing is so anti-Semitic, I'm going to have a very good segment on that on uh, on Tuesday. So the $6 billion budget, or $6 trillion budget proposal, a little typo there, from the Foundation of Economic Freedom, Brad Palumbo. So these trillions more in taxes just to cover the interest. So I have these three reasons or, or three of three consequences of the $6 trillion budget to begin with. We're going to be running ourselves every single year a $1.8 trillion deficit alone just from having this big of a budget. So automatically we're going to this budget knowing that we're going to be in the red every single year by $1.8 trillion. We're going to increase the deficit, which is more than we've ever had increases every single year consistently by a budget this is the most ever from a president obama was about one trillion every year same thing with trump it was about one trillion every year until they blew out the spending with a lot of these covid packages but that had nothing to do with the specific set budget this is the only set budget that has been this high where the loss every single year the deficit is going to be 1.8 trillion in losses so we have three effects of this pretty substantial effects he lists one of them as being trillions more in taxes just to cover the interest so every year, the federal government has to confiscate huge sums in taxes just to cover the annual interest payments on the national debt. These annual payments, just the interest. They're just the interest on the debt. Uh, it's not actually paying the debt. They would double over the next decade under Biden's proposal. Even if interest rates stay low, the payments will total trillions in the near future that will require tax increases. And if interest rates do tick up, these annual payments will quickly become unimaginably large, which is true because if you're going to increase the amount of deficit by almost two times, then obviously the interest payments are going to double as well with them. 
So, number two, slow economic growth and slower paycheck and lower paychecks. And I've actually mentioned this to a lot of people. If you're going to have a, a system like this, you're you're gonna you're gonna get lower paychecks or you're gonna get less raises, and that's really what the slow economic growth is. Large levels of government's debt drag down the economic growth that improves our living standards. It directly lowers our paycheck too. For example, according to the nonpartisan Committee for Responsible Federal Budget, they state, and I quote, a gener a generic plan to gradually reduce the national debt to its historic average would increase income per person by fifty five hundred dollars. Uh, when you when you know, because what will happen to pay this debt off, they're going to have to raise taxes. To raise taxes will also slow down the economy. No one's going to want to get into business if there's high tax rates because then they just see the the juice just is not worth the squeeze. So what will happen is this will slow down the economic growth. People won't want to try to, you know, start new businesses. You know, Jeff Bezos with Amazon, he's not going to build more and more buildings if he still he has to pay a higher federal tax rate. He's not going to employ more people. And then, in essence, you're not going to create as much wealth because of that. And then people are going to get lower paychecks. There's not as much money left to kind of hand out what have you. So number three is large misallocation of resources that could eventually lead to a crash. Which I think this is actually, when I read this article, I think they're always very actually conservative with their estimates of how bad things can actually get with the economy. It could get way worse than, than the idea of, oh, a misallocation of resources can eventually lead, lead to a crash. I, I could see a crash coming within the next couple of years. I don't know what you guys are talking about. I mean, I just I just saw the stock market tank a couple of weeks ago, and I'm watching the crypto market tank. I don't know. I mean, we're, we're printing more money out. I could see a tank within the next like year or so. At this, I could see a tank in this administration. So, so like I said, uh, so he goes on, he states, since the government can't create wealth out of thin air, the resources it spends have to come from somewhere else. Biden proposed a $6 trillion of spending is no exception. Some of it would likely be paid for through regular taxation, but much of it would likely be financed through massive money printing. This would lead to price inflation, which amounts to a sneaky form of taxation. So yeah, I mean, you know, I've stated this before. The, the higher, the higher the inflation, really, what it is is just it's taxing your bank account while it's sitting in the bank, and that could eventually re lead to some sort of crash because then you don't even have money to invest back into the economy, and then the government's building up this debt, and they go, "We got to pay this debt back. We're going to tax you," and you go, "Well, I'm not spending any money. I'm not making any money for you to even tax." And then at that point, they're really screwed. It's almost like a triangle scheme where your money's just caught up to you and they just have nothing left to give. Uh, this very last article, and I got a couple quick headlines. I know I'm running a little late. I had a jam-packed show today. I had a lot of information. So I'm going to go through with this one. Uh, this is Bitcoin. It uses half the energy of the modern banking system. Once again, another foundation of economic freedom piece. It's written by John Miltimore. So Janet Yelling came out. And this is Elon Musk also had his tweets that kind of crashed the market a little bit. And then you had people that were over leveraged. They crashed the market as well because then there was a complete liquidation. Everybody got sold off to try to make it, you know, uh, as complicated but short and precise as I can. So she stated herself, Janet Yellen, it's an extremely inefficient way of conducting transactions and the amount of energy that's consumed in processing those transactions is staggering. So that's her talking about the money usage of Bitcoin. Uh, and then you got next a billionaire. Who's the billionaire? I'm trying to think of who it is specifically. Oh, what's his name? Um, 
No, it's not Elon. Oh, you know who it is? Bill Gates. Bill Gates said, Bitcoin uses more electricity per transaction than any other method known to mankind. And that's what he told Andrew Sorkin in Clubhouse Session. So we have another person. Carol Alexander, a professor at the University of Sussex Business School, agreed in a recent CNBC interview. Alexander says that crypto mining, mining's difficulty... Uh, a computational metric used to measure how much effort it takes to mine Bitcoin has been surging in the last three years. Uh, more and more electricity is being used, Alexander told CNBC. That means that the network difficulty will also be going up and more miners are coming in because the hash rate is going up. So in May, we had a debunking of this this giant myth. We have these financial institutions, these people, and it's amazing. If you actually turn on CNBC and you hear them talk about Bitcoin, talk about other cryptocurrencies, they truly, they need somebody in there that knows what they're talking about because all of them have no clue what's going on in the system, the way the nodes work, the way the whole system works in the general sense, the miners, they really, they have just no clue what's going on. So in May... Galaxy Digital, a cryptocurrency firm founded by venture capitalist Michael Novogratz, uh, they released a paper that compared Bitcoin's energy usage to the industries that are considered its primary competitors as in the traditional banking system for savings and payments, as well as gold a, as a value store. Uh, researchers at the mining arm of Galaxy Digital estimated Bitcoin's annual electricity consumption to be roughly 113.89 terawatts an hour annually, or terawatt hours annually. A figure that includes everything from minor power consumption, pool power consumption, energy for minor demand, and node power consumption. So node power is when you go to trade from one place to another, it uses nodes. The mining power in general, that one is the one that uses the most power, uh, the most amount of energy. And now we've been seeing, you know, energy somehow is now like a stigma. It's very weird. Every single time we think about using energy, we think of some sort of carbon dioxide, some sort of energy. And if you actually really just think down to the very rudimentary basics of this, every single time you go out for a run, every single time you exercise as well, you are releasing more carbon dioxide than you would be otherwise if you were just sitting at home. So that's also a consumption of energy. Are we going to get to that point now where we're also not going to be able to work out outside? We're not going to be able to run around. I mean, I'm just trying to figure out all energy usage to, to them. Their framing is bad right now. But I'm going to go on to show you why... Bitcoin actually uses half as much. So it turns out that Bitcoin stacks up favorably to the gold and traditional banking sectors, analyzing the four key areas of electricity consumption in banks, data centers, branches, ATMs, and card networks. The study estimates that the worldwide electricity consumption of the banking system alone is 263.72 terawatt hours annually. Which is, you know, that's that's more than double of what Bitcoin, because Bitcoin is only 113.89 terawatt hours annually. So gold actually was slightly lower than the banks, with an estimated 240.61 terawatt hours annually, but still roughly twice that of Bitcoin. So as you can see by this chart, this is the estimated energy consumption. As you can see, Bitcoin's half the half the size. And, you know, because to do the transactions isn't the part that uses a lot of power. It's really just the mining portion of it 
that uses the large amount of power. But still, at the end of the day, if you really think about all of, all the work that's done, because you got to okay, okay, to fill up ATMs, you need to have a money truck go from one place to another. Uh, that that takes up gas, oil, burning oil, and then even to defend gold, because gold a lot of the times is in storage. There has to be some sort of security crew that holds it down, and then to have the facility to store that gold. You know, just to run the facility alone, take some sort of electricity, some sort of gas, some sort of energy power uh, has to derive from that. So there's just a lot of power in, in any industry that isn't just straight up on the Internet. Straight, things that are up on the Internet are, are much more efficient in certain ways because of that, because there's not as much energy consumption uh, in people driving you know, gas powered vehicles, things of that nature. Uh, the more and more workers you have at your facility, too, they drive to work every single day. If you want to sit here and go tick for tat with how many, um, me personally, I don't see energy as a net negative in our society. I think that we're going to figure out a way to become more energy efficient as well as a lot of more clean, clean energy derived if we go towards nuclear energy alternatives, which they don't want the lefties because they want to control the entire economy. Really, the point of this. And why I talk about all of these, I talk about crypto, I talk about investments. I think this is all just to deter you from making money. This is all to deter you from doing well. And this isn't financial advice. I always have to mention that as well, or else the SEC starts coming after people if you don't mention that. This is not financial advice. They don't want you to make money. Janet Yellen knows that this is a system that could overthrow the dollar. And they're afraid of it. They don't like the idea that the dollar can be overthrown because they can use the dollar to regulate your lifestyle. They can use it to control you by taxing it heavily and then hitting hard inflation rates. And then they can really, they can just diminish your bank account and there's nothing you can do about it. And this is, this is the safeguard against that. You have gold, you have silver, and then you have Bitcoin, you have other cryptocurrencies. If you believe in them, that's cool. If you don't like them, whatever, but you know, it is what it is, but I think that this is all just kind of a big scheme to get people to drop off and go back to the institutions, and uh, they, they call it FUD, as in fear, uncertainty, and doubt. It's to instill fear, uncertainty, and doubt in the population, so you go back to your institutional banking system where they pay you, you know, 0.1 percentage points per year in interest fees, or interest rates. So these quick headlines, I want to play this one first. John Cena's apology. Uh, recently, he had a Fast and Furious 9 interview with one of the news sources over there. I think it was in China, to be honest with you. And they asked him, I don't even know what it was they asked him about, but he mentioned Taiwan as a independent sovereign nation. And that really pisses off the people of China because the, well, not even the people of China, just the Communist Party of China because they've been trying to take over Taiwan for years now. Uh, play 2. 一个错误，我必须说，现在就是很很很很很重要。我爱更尊重中国，更中国人。我很很抱歉对我的错误。So those that are just listening, he says, "I made a mistake. I'm so 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 sorry." And this is all in reference to referring to Taiwan as a sovereign country. So what happened years ago is, uh. People in that area, in that region, I don't exactly know all the history to it, but from what I understand, people in that region were sick of the Chinese Communist Party 
oppressing them. So they fought them off and they went to their own little region of land and they declared it, I think, I think this is what happened. They declared it like Taiwan because they wanted freedom. They wanted independence from China. Uh, China does not like that. They, they within these next four years are definitely going to make a push at Taiwan. They've been trying to, they've been kind of flying their, their ships or they've been flying their, whatever their version of an air force is. Their jets over Taiwan, letting them know that they want the area. They've been flexing their military power in the region. So, you know, soon enough, they'll probably end up taking over just kind of like they had with Hong Kong. And is anyone else just sick of, and, and you know, John Cena is not a guy that really goes out and calls for social justice or human rights. He doesn't do the LeBron thing and then turn the cheek on, on uh, the Chinese Communist Party when they take over Hong Kong, that's a sovereign, that was a sovereign nation, uh, and actually broke international law and that international agreement that they had with, uh, with Great Britain and Hong Kong at that time. And as well as, you know, they have the, the Uyghurs over the Muslim Uyghurs that they're running out of concentration camps, something they don't care about either LeBron. And I think this is just Universal Studios telling John Cena to go out there and give an apology. I mean, it's it's totally, it's groveling, it's pathetic. Uh, we have to, at some point, stand on some sort of principle in America, it seems like. I mean, how much money, to? because what you're doing is really, especially in LeBron's case, you are selling other people's lives for money. You're a coward, that's what you're doing. You're selling other people's lives for your bottom dollar. You, you don't, you don't want to make, because... It's about 30% of the viewership in the NBA. And I think 30%, same thing with the Fast and Furious movies, it's a pretty high percentage of people from trying to watch it. So they, this is just affecting their budget. They just want their money. LeBron's already, I, I would guess, maybe close to a billionaire, if not, if not already one. Where does it get to a point where the amount of how many lives need to be lost for it to matter to you when you look at your bank account? Because if you cut whatever LeBron makes now, if you cut it by 30%, it's still an astronomical amount of money. And you know, hey, at least I don't support the regime that is forcing slave labor and attempting to eradicate Muslims in China. At least I don't support that in the Chinese Communist Party. I can at least go to, like, I at least know I don't support that. But yeah, I'll take a 30% pay cut, but at least I don't support that. You're really just putting a dollar symbol on these people's lives and going, well, well, you know what? You know, the money's worth it, so I just, I'll just i just keep my mouth shut. I'm not going to say anything about it. And then you're going to talk about social justice and human rights over in America? I mean, it's meaningless when it comes, it's trite when it comes from you. It's a joke. It's just a joke because you're a hypocrite. And it's the same thing with John Cena has to come out because Universal Studios is afraid. When is it that our institutions, when is it that our celebrity class, the people that everyone looks up to, when are these people going to finally set a somewhat of a moral sta or ethical standard and stand up to the regime over in China that's carrying out acts that we haven't seen since the 1940s? I mean, I, I just don't, I don't understand. So... Next, I have Officer, and speaking of LeBron James, that officer that made that video mocking LeBron James was actually pretty funny. He uh, he got fired recently. That's a gateway pundit piece. I'm sure he'll end up being fine, but if you want to talk about cancel culture, there you go. There's another instance of cancel culture. It's, it's a bummer. 
Uh, highest tax states. I have another article. You know what? Actually, I might go over this article next show because I have so much information that I'm going to be carrying over. So I'll leave that for next show. Uh, I greatly appreciate everyone tuning in as always. Please, you know, like, share, subscribe. Please subscribe to the channel because then you will get a notification every single time I put out a video and you'll know about it. And then also that kind of gives me it sets me up better in the algorithm over at YouTube or over at Rumble. So just do that. I would highly, I would greatly appreciate if you did so. And uh, enjoy your weekend. I will see everybody on Monday. I'm going to be having the Federalist Paper. Then Tuesday will be a other uh, current event episode. Everyone enjoy their, their weekend and their Memorial Day. Thank you. It's true.